Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to today's Born to Talk radio show. My guest today is Jeremy Pollock, and he is the founder of Pollock Peace Building Systems and creator of Inner Warrior Coaching. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Oh, it's, it's going to be just great. Uh, and today's show is all about you and why you have oh, okay, this passion. <laughs> it's true. Well, yeah, because it really is going to be about you. We're not going to talk about the All-Star game last night, although that was pretty cool. Uh, we're going to be talking about you and your passion for peace building, whether it's in our work life or in our personal life, because it, it's all applicable wherever. I mean, peace building is by its nature something we could all benefit by. But I thought we could just start off. I, I always I always like to know something about my guests. I think it's important for our listeners to know, well, who are you and what are you all about? So if you could just share something about your background and where you grew up, your family, whatever you'd like to share that gives us an insight into you, Jeremy, I'd love to hear that part of your story. Um, sure. I, you know, I, so I grew up in Agora Hills, California, which, was, uh, which is a suburb uh, just north of Los Angeles, about 30 minutes outside the city. Um, so I had a very, I actually had a, a pretty nice, peaceful childhood with a pretty well-functioning family. And so I'm, I feel very lucky, you know, especially, you know, um, now doing coaching and counseling with a lot of individuals who didn't have such a peaceful upbringing. Um, I feel very uh, lucky, a lot of gratitude for uh, the way I was brought up. And then from there, I uh, ended up going to USC for college and uh, got, and I was, you know, heavily into martial arts during that time. And um, so I was sort of focused on, and then got out of college and, and worked as a writer for, for a while and uh, sort of in the marketing and branding world and eventually got really interested in uh, psychology and ended up going to graduate school for um, evolutionary anthropology, which is um, sort of a, a, a broader area under which I studied evolutionary psychology and then got into a graduate program after that um, in conflict resolution and peace building, which I did uh, a few years ago. And then I, after that, started uh, on my doctoral journey in, in psychology. Um, and so now I'm, wow. I'm in that journey and, and in addition to being a coach and consultant, and so that's, yeah, that's the, that's the gist of my academic slash professional career if, in, a, in a nutshell. Wow. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive in what you've been able to accomplish. I, I'm, and you've started your own, you're an entrepreneur, which you didn't throw in there, but truly you are an entrepreneur as well. So I mentioned at the, at the beginning that you um, started your own company called Pollock, and that's P-O-L-L-A-C-K. And peace building is all one word, systems, and people can certainly find you um, on the Internet under Pollock Peace Building, um, and it's just peacebuilding.com. But I, I think it would be really great for us, for us to hear about why you even 
started your your company? What's the background behind that? Well, so I was, you know, so like I said, I was a coach for a long, I've been a coach for about 10 years of doing personal coaching, helping individuals, you know, in, in a very succinct way, I could describe it as helping individuals find peace within themselves. And so learning different methods and strategies for doing that. And eventually I got very interested in coaching individuals when they had relationship problems, um, especially at work. So I, I tend to coach a lot of entrepreneurs and executives. And so they were, you know, I, I would sort of constantly be dealing with not just personal relationship problems, but professional relationship problems. And it got me very interested in that, uh, that aspect of peace building. I also was interested in, um, you know, cooperation and conflict at the group level in general. And so that led me to study the conflict resolution and, and peace building sort of on an international, intercultural level, and then applying that, I, I, I learned how, a little bit how to apply that at an organizational level. And that was very um, mm. interesting. It turned out to be a little bit unique in terms of how I'm approaching organizational conflict. So I, from, you know, doing that for a couple of companies and for some clients that were entrepreneurs in their businesses, I, yeah, just sort of naturally became a, uh, a, a brand called Pollock Peace Building Systems, which I now um, carry as a consultancy. Wow, that's neat. So was there a turning point for you when, when you knew that the field of psychology and conflict were calling you? Was there something that just sort of drew you that way? Yeah, you know, so I had a couple of experiences in college um, that, that, that sort of forced me into looking at psychology and it in a, a much more thorough way. I was um, sort of my first month in, into my university, uh, right out of the suburbs, I was actually kidnapped at knife point and um, by a gang member who was, who was, who was taking me somewhere to kill me. And uh, so I, oh I ended up being able to navigate that situation, uh, stay calm, stay clear, and got to a point where I was sort of, you know, I, I knew that I either had to fight to fight to get away or just try to escape. And so I was able to actually end up jumping out of my car, like going about 35 miles an hour, um, hitting the ground, rolling, getting up and escaping luckily. Um, and I, I, after that, I, I, I went into, I, although the, the experience itself was very incredible because I was very clear. I was very calm. I didn't feel very afraid because I was just very confident in my ability to survive um, afterward, it really threw me through, it really shook me up. And I got into a state of depression for a while, um, almost, mm -hmm. you know, considered dropping out of college. Um, cause I was just so paranoid all the time. I got, I got really paranoid and got very deep into martial arts at that point. And so I was trying to navigate my, my own sort of trauma without knowing that I was traumatized. And um, and that led me to want to start reading about psychology and start reading about you know why I was feeling the way I was feeling and that kind of thing and um, and then my and then two years later in college my uh, roommate who was a good friend of mine um, at that well he was a friend of mine at that time because I you know we'd been living together for several months uh, he passed away and I found his body <gasps> the next morning that's I was the one who oh. discovered basically so. I, so those two incidences, because I hadn't dealt with them during college, I hadn't gone to therapy or anything like that. I hadn't really dealt with them. I really repressed those. And by the end of college, 
I was very emotionally stunted. I I remember I remember thinking to myself, I couldn't feel anything. I just couldn't feel happy. I couldn't feel sad. I couldn't numb. feel numb. By that, yeah. completely numb. Yeah, completely numb. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so I, I just, I, and I knew something was wrong. I thought to myself, like, some, I, this is not how I'm supposed to feel. I'm going to go see a therapist. And I ended up seeing a, a, a psychologist who did some work on me. And it sort of, it, it very, very quickly dawned on me how important it was. And I stayed in therapy for many years, um, went beyond the trauma of those two incidents and started getting deep into my own, you know, psychology, you know, from attachment issues to, Mm-hmm. Uh, just general confidence and stuff like that. So yeah, it was very interesting, and that, that's those are the events I think that really, you know, pushed me into wanting to learn how what humans no how why humans behave and, and think the way they do. So. I can I can appreciate that this was how many years ago were we talking about when you were this was at USC or maybe we don't want to say where you were, but this was when you were in college. So were you like nineteen years old, twenty years old? I was I was 18 when the first when I when I was kidnapped and then I was 20 when my roommate died. So it's almost you know let's see so 20 yeah. around you know 20 years ago yeah. But they really shaped they they shaped my early identity and um and forced me toward on a path that I probably wouldn't have gone down otherwise. Which so I'm I, I'm grateful Truly. for them now. But it was hard. Yeah. Do you think I'm just curious because. I mean, it, it's it's sort of shocking to hear this this experience that you dealt with. Do you think that at 18 you had already been doing martial arts for quite some time? Do you think yeah. that your confidence in your ability to get out of this situation helped you? Do you think that that background played a part in that? Yeah, absolutely. Especially because at that point I had I had. I had done some work with knives with edge weapons. And so, mm-hmm. and so a, a blade in front of me probably didn't have as much of an effect as it would have if, had I never done any kind of edge weapons work. Um, right. I hadn't done it. I wasn't extensive at that point, but yeah, I think, I think that I just, I, I just remember thinking to myself during that, during that ordeal that I, I just thought, you know, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to die tonight. That's, I remember thinking that clearly, mm-hmm. I'm not going to die tonight. Wow. And so am I like, and it was weird because my entire, there was a, it was a good 20 minutes of driving during, in that car with the individual uh, where I was just mm-hmm. in my head thinking what, you know, what am I going to do and how am I going to get away and what am I going to have to do to do it? And, um, and, and my life's kind of, it was weird. I remember my life sort of flashing before my eyes. I remember thinking of my family and my, and all the things I wanted to do in my life. And, and I just thought there's, I'm just, it's not going to happen. He's not, he's not going to take it. Right. I think that it sounds to me just by hearing your story, which is really stunning that um, you must've had a, a strong measure of confidence in yourself and clear thinking, even though there was this fear of flight or fight that was going on in your system and you hadn't studied as much as you've studied as you've gotten older, but I, I, it's, it's a remarkable story. And, and if you just take that out of the, the mix and the finding your roommate um, also had to be very, very traumatic, but it's, it's very interesting as you linked the two, how they formulated where you moved forward in your past. And yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's a really interesting story 
And when I mentioned that you are con- your your company is really about conflict resolution, maybe you could maybe you could describe what that means. What do you do as a con- as a conflict uh, resolution expert? Yeah, it's a good question because <laughs> I think a lot of people have the same question. Um, so it, it's very so. What I do a lot of times is in my I, what I would say is my specialty and what I really enjoy doing. Is basically like couples therapy, but for but for people at work. Um, so what I try to do is, I try to get everyone back to uh, people that are engaged in sort of a long-standing conflict. They can't get along. It's affecting work. It's affecting productivity, and ultimately, usually ends up forcing someone to get fired or, or quit, and and that leads to a whole mess of other problems. Before that all happens, if someone were to call me in. Uh, my my job essentially is to is to make sure that everyone feels heard and that we can get back to a place of ground zero, so we can start rebuilding the relationship and moving forward in a productive way. That and and so I know that's a very broad way of describing what I do, but that is sort of the that's my mission. And so how I do that is a little bit nuanced for each for each company, but it really it really is a matter of getting people to sit down with each other and then me facilitating a, a dialogue between them in a, in a very particular manner in which people can start to see each other more as human beings and no longer as enemies, essentially. Yeah. So I can yeah. see, I, you know, I can see where there's probably not a single business that, that wouldn't have, I mean, if you've got more than three people in the room, there's the possibility that there could be conflict and yeah. it's just it's just human nature. I mean, you, yep. and so I can appreciate why it's important. You have to certainly have willing participants that want to come to the table and recognize um, that there is a problem. And, and you said something that I thought was just so at the core, which is I don't care if you're in in the work world or if it's in your private world. I don't think there's anybody that wouldn't admit that we all want to be heard. We we want yep. our voice to be heard, and not, we don't always do that well. We don't always sometimes, and I'm sure we can. We'll be talking about this. Sometimes you want to be heard, but you come out, you know, striking and and combative when main, mainly you just want to stay. And it's not what you did, but it's how I felt. And I I'm sure that there are all kinds of steps regarding that, but. I, I I think that there's a, a a place on your website that I thought was very interesting. You call it the six point need system, and I I didn't know if maybe you wanted to just spend a little bit of time talking about um, what those what those words mean. It's it's a great diagram, and I'll make sure that I put it on my website. But I think that it, it just if you could quickly, if you'd like to, just talk a little bit about those those six terms and, and how you apply that as an expert. Sure, yeah. So I it's called so I, I call it the six needs system and it's based on a number of different uh, theories of human needs. Um, and I'm you know there's starting with probably the most popular for lay people which is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But then there's all kinds of other needs theories, um, including mm-hmm. what's called basic psychological needs theory and 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 different theorists from different fields have come up with what they think are these sort of fundamental core human needs. Um, all, all human beings cross-culturally have some psychological needs in order, in order to achieve a state of 
what you might call subjective well-being or inner peace or um, life satisfaction, et cetera. And so the idea for this is that if you understand what the core human needs are, you can apply them in a bunch of different situations. You can apply them in an individual situation where why is this person not at peace? Why are they not feeling well? What needs are not being satisfied in their life? And you can also apply it to an organization. Mm-hmm. Why is this organization or this culture not doing well? Uh, why is this group, why is this particular group of people or this, or this pair of people not doing well? What needs are not being served? What needs are being threatened or at least perceived as being threatened, et cetera. So, so this is, it's, it's, for me, this is a major area of my research, and I'm, I think it's very helpful a way of breaking it down to understand, understand a particular conflict. Because in my estimation and in a lot of different conflict theories, basically what, what we're suggesting that conflict is, is that one or more of the parties in conflict are perceiving their needs to either not be met or to be threatened by the other party. And if we can get the parties to recognize that either the, the need isn't actually being threatened by the other party and or the need can be satisfied in some other way than, than the way that they're currently wanting it to be satisfied or thinking it should be satisfied, then we can more readily resolve the conflict. So these sure. so, so looking at which need, like we're kind of doing a measurement of like, okay, looking at these six core psychological needs that all human beings have, whether they're in a group or not, um, if we if we assess those and see which ones are being perceived as being threatened or perceived as not being met, then we can figure out okay, well then we need to we need to meet that need. We need to we need to figure out how to or, or we need to mitigate the perception that is being threatened. That kind of thing. Right. Well, um, so it's, I, it's a, it's a I interesting po- subject. It really is. Sorry, and I'll I'll post those six words on my website for people to look over. And like I said, you are very easy to find. Um, your websites are easy to find, and I, I think that people will enjoy just really seeing what it is that you offer. I really like what your banner says across your um, webpage, which is, like I said, pollockpeacebuilding.com, and it says, be the change, improve communication, build trust, embody respect, and transform relationships. And I love the picture of people just standing, you know, in a silhouette holding hands across the page. It, it's, it's a great visual, and I think it yeah. really does let people know something about what your company does. And I, and I really I, I appreciate looking at that because it really it says a lot about you and, and your company. But we touched on martial arts, and um, I think that's a huge part of what you do. And I, I'd like to know how you've incorporated your love for martial arts and how it's influenced your understanding of peace and conflict, because that sounds like a yin and a yang, doesn't it? I, I, so I, I'm like, yeah. I'd like you to yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I think martial arts is such a primal way of dealing with conflict if, if, it's, if it comes to like a you know, physical altercation. Um, and, I, and I think it gave me the respect and the confidence in conflict um, or the, sorry, the respect of violent conflict to the mm-hmm. point where I thought, you know, I, I never want to be in a fight. I never want to do this. I, I, I realized through martial arts how incredibly painful it is to, to both, for both people, even if you're, the, the, even if you're the, sort of the winner of the fight, it's still painful on a number of levels to 
to, to be in an aggressive situation with a human being. And, and, and no matter what, even if someone's like just a generally aggressive person, I would say that that person generally probably is in pain and that's why they're aggressive. They're in some sort of deep emotional mm-hmm. pain. And I just don't want to mm-hmm. be in a fight. And I, and I recognize how, yeah. So I, I, I respect violence in a way that I don't want to ever have to be in violence. So it, it may, it, it pushed me into this, into this, um, desire to learn, well, how do you resolve conflict then in a better way, even when, even when you're faced with violence, you know, so you could obviously mm-hmm. fight or flight, you can escape or you can fight, or is there another better way? And so I think that, that, that took me into the study of, of peace and conflict on a, on a psychological level. Um, there's a, there's a concept in martial arts that is very basic to all, all of the arts that I've studied or most of them anyway, which is basically going with the flow. And so like not fighting force against force, but really going sort of Mm -hmm. um, with the currents of the energy. And I, I, I found that to be extremely helpful um, in my peace and conflict studies as well as instead of fighting against a person, not looking at the person as the problem, but rather the problem as the problem. And if we can get on the same page, if I, if I and this individual or group who I feel like I'm in conflict with, we can get together on a team and go, okay, how do we, how do we confront the conflict instead of confronting each other? Then right. um, it's much more easy to flow with that. Certainly, but, people yeah. coming to the table have to feel safe to express themselves. And you know, I really, honestly, like to stay out of the news as much as possible because it, it sets people up on sides. And I, I really like yeah. to have a very um, inclusive show rather than exclusive show but certainly you can't live today and not see conflicts all over this all over the place i mean you can't turn the tv on you can't you can't get your news off the internet or anywhere else for that matter where people aren't expressing conflicts it's it seems to be very high but even even within our families you know um why aren't you calling me more often? Or why did you say this when you did call me? Or whatever. We know people yeah. get their feelings hurt. And and sometimes, you know, when it's explored as, well, why did that hurt your feelings? Well, actually, it tapped into another area in my mind that I just haven't told you about. And that, therefore, you right. don't even know that about me. And I think that that sort of takes me over to coaching and um I'm particularly interested in why you created your actual other business, which is called the Inner Warrior Coaching, which itself has a fabulous page. And for those of you that want to follow Jeremy there, it's called CoachJeremyPollock.com. And you will be able to get right to his site there, where your banner there is also very well done. Uh, It has that yin and yang in the back. And it has this kind of a warrior person. But I love what it says underneath that, Jeremy. It says, live with purpose, passion, and presence. Find your inner warrior. Oh, I just think that's so brilliant. So let's, let's, spend, let's spend really a great portion of the rest of our show, um, and we can go back and forth at, at your will, but I would really like to learn about your um, – your inner warrior program and all that you do there. Why did you, why did you even create it to start with? Uh, well, so inner warrior started 
almost a decade ago, and I was a mar- so I, I owned a martial arts academy, and um, I got I was also simultaneously doing personal coaching. Um, like I I was actually participating in coaching. I was in I was I had a coach, and I still have a coach. Um, but I one of my students in martial arts came to me and asked me if I would coach them on a personal level, and I had never done that before, and so I tried it out, and it really worked well. And I, he's actually still a client of mine today, and. Uh, and I've seen amazing progress in him. And um, so, uh, so it kind of, it naturally, it was an organic um, evolution from my, from my martial arts academy. Uh, and yeah, the, you know, so the, you know, the concept of inner warrior, you know, cause I was, I was teaching and I still do teach martial arts. Um, and so there was like the warrior art, right. You know, uh, sort of the physical art um, and mind mm-hmm. body spirit attached to that. But then I wanted also sort of the inner warrior. What's the inner warrior and so that that was that was that was the concept of you know being courageous enough to look at your the deepest parts of yourself, the most scary parts of yourself, uh, the most difficult emotions that you've repressed, uh, the the most difficult memories perhaps, and being they have the courage to go in there to uncover them and to work through them so that you can live a life that is that in which you're at peace because peace starts from within. I mean. You know, so there's there's no it's very very difficult to to create peace in the world and peace between people if those people aren't at peace with themselves. And so that was my that was the foundation of why I wanted to help people get in touch with something in some of themselves that could they could get to them and do a state of peace. So, that that makes that a lo- that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, it, it does. No, it makes it makes sense, and I can see how your both of your businesses. Um, transition and um, I know a little bit about martial arts Um, both of my neighbors next door do taekwondo Um, the 16 I think he's 17 now I think at 15 he got his black belt his sister Mm -hmm. also and she's much younger also has received a black belt and I actually went and watched one of their classes and I thought wow there's a lot of core work i mean there's a lot involved in martial arts that unless you've ever seen it and done you might not recognize that as what's involved with your legs and your arms and your shoulders and your breathing and you know there's probably a lot we can how we can intersect that with yoga because i think we'll talk about that at some point as well but it it is you know some people might not have have might have not a complete understanding of why people even have an interest in martial arts. And maybe they've watched Bruce Lee and they've been very, yeah. you know, um, excited about, oh, you know, I want to do that, Kung Fu Warrior and things like this. But in reality, um, it doesn't have to be combative as much as it can be um, the way the parents explained to me why they wanted their children to be involved in martial arts is that they wanted them to feel safe and secure that if they were in a setting or an environment where they needed to protect themselves that they understood that there was a way they could do it and I, 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 I understood that after hearing that about them which I thought was very very interesting to to learn so if you if you had to say what your mission is in this um, inner warrior coaching, how would how would you define that? What would you define your mission to be? I think it would be very similar to my like 
core life mission, which is to bring more peace into the world. And so, through, so in the way in the way that I do that is through through the inner warrior coaching, which which is my coaching brand. I do that hopefully by bringing more peace to individuals within themselves. And then through public peace building, it's more how do I bring peace between people? So mm-hmm. one one is focused on the on the internal or on the on the individual bringing peace within that person, and the other one is focused on uh, groups or people as as pairs of bringing peace between people. But yeah, that's my right. Question. I was, you know, with with today's technology, I have a really good friend that's um, a marriage and family counselor up in the Bay Area, but his main focus is men, men in trouble for a variety of different mm-hmm. reasons, and he'll bring groups together. Mm-hmm. But he also skypes. Do you are you at that level where you can, you know, we're, you and I are both in the Los Angeles area. What if somebody was listening today and thought, oh, man, this guy is, I've read his website. This, this really speaks to me. Can you do things like that, or do you have to be face-to-face in, in the same room with your clients? Well, from my coaching practice, I coach individuals all over the country. So I do, I do a lot oh, of Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, but oh, um, for my, for, for when companies want me to coach, it's usually right. in person. I, I think, I think doing, doing facilitated dialogue between individuals needs to be in person. I would agree. You have to read the body yeah. language. You have to you have to watch the eyes rolling and the eyebrows up and the yawn and the face turning the other direction and I that's yeah. that's obviously yeah. you're reading all those body images. But I, I so that's good to know that if as we proceed through our show together, that if someone is interested in this that that this is something that they, they could do. So did you did you think you were gonna just I know we talked about this, but did you just have that burning desire to be a coach because you felt that you had a really great coach and this just felt like, man, I feel like this is my calling. Is that what, has that how it started for you? Uh, I don't think that I had a, I don't remember having a burning desire to do it. I think it just kind of happened organically. I was, I was a teacher instructor in martial arts. And so that, like I said, I just started coaching one of my clients and then several other of my martial arts students, ended up wanting to be coached. And then I thought, well, mm-hmm. this, this seems to work and I seem to be adding value to these people's lives. So, you know, why not open this up to people that aren't just my martial arts students? And that's when I created my right. inner war coaching brand um, mm-hmm. and just started seeing other people too. So, yeah. So, and then, you know, I just, I have a lot of different, I have like several businesses kind of all surrounding different aspects of this, but um, so I, I limit my ability to coach to a certain amount of hours a week and then I consult a certain amount of hours and then I have a lot of admin tasks that I have to do. So I, uh, yeah, so I, I, I get a lot of fulfillment from coaching and from, from all the stuff that I do. Which is, um, what do you think that, that, what do you think makes coaching so valuable to people? What, what do you think your clients think about coaching? What, where's the value for them? Um, so I think every client is a little different in terms of the value that they mm-hmm. get. But on a, on a general level to answer that question in terms of what value coaching brings, um, for most people, I think coaching is valuable because it gives them clarity and accountability. And the, the way that that works essentially is my job as a coach is to, is to be, you know, be, be an empathetic listener to, to them. So give them a safe space to, 
to talk about what's going on in their life. That's really important. They could do that in therapy as mm-hmm. well. But the difference with coaching is it's much more action-based and typically than therapy is. And so um, my job as a coach by the end of each session is let me take everything they're saying. Let me take their, their vision and their goals for the next week of their life and the next year of their life. And let's, let's co-create this plan of, you know, three or four actionable steps you can take towards your goals. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. hold you accountable to them. And so that's, that's the big value is, you know, helping them get really clear on what their goals are, what's really actionable step-by-step processes they have to put in place to get those goals, and then holding them accountable to actually um, take those steps. That's, that's the coaching value, I think. And, and that's where the work comes in because as that coach, you know, you can only take your information so far and the hard work obviously comes in from the person being coached. And it's, it's easy to fall off. It's, it, it's easy to fall off. And we're all, myself included, we're all so result-oriented. Like, well, if I do this, how long is it going to take before I get that? You know, right. and, some, and, and it's, I think it's just it's human nature. We, we can be impatient um, in getting results. But... Um, what's the option? You know, you, if you do nothing, um, you're not likely to get anywhere. So, you know, start starting. Um, and we all we all have we we all have needs. We all have issues that probably a coach could help us with. Um, if you're in a a relationship, you're married. You're you're not married, but you're in a relationship, and you have somebody to bounce your needs off of and they do the same and then you have that level of um companionship and and conversation if if you are alone like i am you know um it makes things a little bit different you need to therefore you know bounce off your friends or bounce off people that are close to you your family to to sometimes get you through some very what could be very difficult times and there probably isn't anybody that wouldn't benefit by a coaching program, frankly, um, yeah. even yourself. Well, social, I mean, you know, <clears throat> go ahead. I was going to say so, social support is extremely important, of course. The, the good thing about seeing a coach or a therapist or someone who's not necessarily interested in your – doesn't have a personal interest in your life, they can give you sometimes a, a little bit more clear of a perspective, and they're not invested in you – they're not invested in, in your, in the outcomes of your decisions. They're not invested in you making a choice to go one way or another. Sometimes people in your life are invested in your decisions. So it, it's helpful to have someone who's like on the outside, especially a professional who has, you know, the training and experience to actually understand right. what's happening. Yeah. Right. You know, there's this whole term about self-talk and um, some of us have more noise in our heads than others. And it, it always makes me think of that cartoon where, you know, the angel sitting on one shoulder and the devil sitting on the other and everybody's yapping in your ears. But, you know, sometimes for me personally, it's very hard to turn off the self-talk. It's like, oh, God, you know, t- change the channel. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, what, do you, what is your... Th- uh, I, don't, I don't think it's very... <sighs> it, it's not practical for most people to turn off self-talk because we're just, you know, 
we are egocentric creatures and we, 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 everything that we perceive and interpret is in reference to us. And that's just the way it is. Um, maybe there's some people that are sort of like enlightened or something that, that don't think like that and they are, they're purely selfless. But I think most people don't have the ability to turn off, um, uh, you know, talk and thought about oneself. So the mission for someone like myself who's helping individuals or for even just anyone who wants to feel better about their life and stuff is to turn the self-talk that they recognize as being negative into self-talk they, they would recognize or perceive as being positive. So if you, if you have a lot of self-talk, which is positive, that's, that's great. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. don't want to be overconfident or, or sort of head in the, head in the clouds, but sure. it's, it's better than being negative about yourself. So, so I, you know, so I guess I would say that self-talk is inevitable. The question is, is can we, can we transform the debilitating self-talk that limits us to more inspirational or motivational Mm self-talk that encourages us? And I suppose we all find ways of doing that. I, I, I'm coming up my first anniversary next, next week will be, um, the anniversary of the last day I was doing my, my radio show in a studio. I did, um, the April will be four years as the host of Born to Talk radio show. But oh, wow. this coming week, will, yeah, it, every week. And so I did studio work for nearly three years. And I've been mm-hmm. podcasting now one week short of one year. And trust me, there was a lot of self-talk going on in there because I wasn't given any advance notice, and I went from broadcasting in the studio to sitting here in my office, which is nice and cozy and comfortable, and taking my show on a different, in a whole different direction. And I don't think I could have done that without a lot of help from people that were that are around me. But there is always that confidence level, like you know, am I doing a good job, and and am I am I bringing out what's best for my for my guest and 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 you know because you you are a guest on my show you know that as we prepare for these shows it's not like well let's just throw the mic on and we'll just go wherever we're going to go because I will start talking about squirrels that's just my nature to change the subject or ask you what you're having for dinner tonight and that really isn't (laughs) the focus of our show so I I have you know an intent I am intentional but I'm also um open to having this organic conversation with you and particularly you because you sort of speak to a subject that I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested in. I I like what it is that you do. And, and as, as an employee of the Y for, for 10 years, while I, I wasn't teaching the yoga class, I was their membership director and advocate for all of those members. I saw the value of, of a healthy lifestyle. I saw these seniors that were old enough to be my parents still getting out and, and not only maybe getting in the water and moving around, but just the connection with others. And, and I think connection was, you know, it's, 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 such a, it's such a core value. It's one of the things that's on your, on your six-point chart is connection. So it's part of my tagline conversations plus connections equals community it really that speaks to me and how I approach my life with conversations and connections and I feel that that same connection to you 
um, I, I do think that what you provide is, is really important. And I know you're furthering your education, and, you know, it, it's pretty outstanding. Um, if there was a core message that you would want to say to me or to anybody else that was listening that, that you just wanted people to know, what, what, what would that be that would be that core message to people and why you coach? I would say kind of a tough question. Yeah, you know, I, I think that my the the core thing that I deal with with every client, and even with friends and family, and I would say is uh, love yourself. That's my core message. Mm-hmm. How, how you know, accept yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Don't beat yourself up as much. Love yourself. Find find love, and I don't mean in a in like an egoic way, but more or like mm-hmm. an egotistic way, but more in a just in a being way. Love, love who you are as a being. There's only one you. There's only one unique you. You know, can you be more gentle with yourself? Can you be more compassionate with yourself? Can you be easier, more patient with yourself? It's, there's, there's, there's no point in being so hard on yourself all the time, you know? And I see a mm-hmm. lot of people that I see or that even that I talk to, just friends and family are just very self-judgmental. They don't accept parts of themselves. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't help anything. And I, and I know a lot of times I'll tell someone, well, how do you get to a place of self-acceptance or self-love? And their, their fear is that if I totally love and accept myself, then I'll just stop being motivated to do anything with my life. I'll just, I'll, I'll be complacent. Mm-hmm. I won't want to progress in any way. And I, and I, I insist that, no, it's the opposite. I insist that, you know, if you right now, because your, your limiting beliefs are limiting you from the full potential of your life, if you truly love and accept yourself on a core level, you will be inspired and motivated to do all kinds of amazing things without the fear of hating yourself, which, which really opens yeah. and liberates people to, to do all kinds of things. So that would be my core message. Yeah. I love you. I, it's, you know, um, that resonates. So I'm just holding it together right now. Um, let's, let's talk about something that's sort of negative, but I think, uh, an important part of our conversation today and because one of the things that you deal with is conflict and at, at a very basic level I don't is there a definition of what conflict means at that very basic level how would you define conflict yeah I mean I think I alluded to it earlier basically conflict the way there's a lot of definitions of conflict but the way that I okay. have the way that I define it is based on the way I've seen it defined in a number of different, um, from a number of different, you know, researchers in the field. And I think it's pretty accurate, which is conflict is the perception of one's needs being threatened by another force. So whether that okay. force, force is a living entity or not. So it's just the, it's mm-hmm. the, it's the perception that one's needs are being, being thwarted or threatened. By another force. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's basically right. what creates conflict. Yeah, I can see where that would be the case. You know, it's was it's interesting um, for those of you who are listening. I always like to speak to my guests just just a couple of minutes prior to going on the air to make sure we have a good phone connection and just to establish a rapport. And I was mentioning to you that you're a mediator, um, and but you also do meditation. And I was looking at those two words, and I went, wow, mediation is one P short 
of meditation. It's almost the exact yeah. same word. And I'm I'm presuming because of who you are and, and some of your other practices that you probably consider yourself pretty um, versed in both the meditation and mediation. Would that be true? Are you a meditator as well? I am, yeah. Yeah. I do and teach meditation. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my spell check often gets confused with the two. <laughs> well, so, you know, yeah, a... it's, it, that's funny, but, I, but it, it, there is actually some, I could see where the two words could actually make some sense with one another. Have you found yeah, there's a that? Um, crossover. You bet. What have you found is the most important when you are mitigating a conflict? What, 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 what do you need to do? Um, okay. Well, there's the, the, there's a lot of different aspects to the process, but I think if you're asking what's the most important aspect, I think we're going to get mm-hmm. back to that concept of connection. And I would take mm-hmm. it one step further and call it not just connection, but care. I think care is the foundation of resolving conflict. I think, I think care is the thing that, that we must start with to resolve conflict. And that, what I mean by that is um, the individuals or the groups involved with the conflict or with, with the peace building or conflict resolution process, if they're sitting at the table wanting to resolve the conflict, they have to, A, actually somewhat care about the other party and B, understand that the other party cares about them. And if we can establish care, then from there we can, we can start to move through a productive process because that way guards come down a little bit, defense, defenses come down a little bit, um, and people are more open to working with each other as human beings. If, the, if, you, get into a, if you get into a mediation or, or any kind of dialogue wherein one party doesn't think the other party cares in the least bit about them, you're not really going to get anywhere. You're, you know, right. They're just going to remain on the defense because why would I ever want to rebuild a relationship or negotiate with this person who just doesn't care about me at all? So they have to perceive, That's they true. have to care about each other and they have to know that the other cares about them. That, that is the foundation of conflict resolution. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, I was mentioning that I've got my three C's, conversations plus connections equals community. I just mm-hmm. heard you use two C's, connection and care. And, you know, I care is really, uh, that's, a, I don't know if you're, I don't know. Do you have three C's yourself that you, that you also use? Is there a third C in yeah. your, in your, what, what is it? So I, so, is, well, so what, what are your is, three C's? Uh-huh. Yeah. For me, connection isn't one. Care, care is, care is one of my three C's. My other two C's are commitment and communication. And that, that those are okay. the three C's of relationship rebuilding for me is, Care, communication, and commitment. Um, makes, do you, I, yeah. I can talk about those if you want. Sure, please. Love to. Yeah. Um, so so I, I kind of just described what care is. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the care of the other and, per, and the perception that the other cares about oneself. And then commitment is really important to, to building a relationship. What I mean by that is, I, I have to be committed to the process of this resolution or the process of this rebuilding. And I have to know that the other person is committed too. In other words, I'm willing to sit here or go through the process, however long it takes, no matter what it takes, until, until we're resolved. 
you know, and, and maybe that means at some point we walk away from each other or maybe it doesn't, but, but we both know mm-hmm. that we care about each other and we're committed to this process. And then the last thing is just communication, you know, what, whatever tools are necessary to get more clear and more effective communication. That's a lot. That's a big part of what I do in, in, in facilitating dialogue is helping individuals really clearly and um, less defensively communicate with each other so that we can be productive. So that's, that's, that yeah, makes those are my sense. Mm-hmm. It's interesting yeah. um, because here's another C for you while we're in this, while we're in the alphabet right now. And that would be the word confrontation. So does confrontation mitigate or create more conflict? Uh, I think it depends on the type of confrontation. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think avoiding confrontation certainly exacerbates conflict. It doesn't do anything to help it. There's no reason to avoid. However, being confrontational in an aggressive way can also worsen it. So confronting it with a very calm, clear uh, approach is, is, the, is the way to mitigate conflict. Certainly mm-hmm. no, not avoiding, not being aggressive, but somewhere in the middle. You know? and I, like, so conflict theorists call that being assertive, but again, mm-hmm. not being aggressive. Yeah. Got it. There's a difference, isn't there? There is definitely a difference between being assertive and being aggressive. It's, it, it feels different. It, you know, yeah, it's probably a, a, received differently. Absolutely. There's a, there's a spectrum of, of confrontation. It, it goes from avoidance to assertion to aggression. And so if you stay in the middle mm-hmm. there on that, on that middle path of assertion, it's, it's, it's basically it's being confident, but being not, you know, non-aggressive or not being defensive, essentially. So you're open, you're being open-minded uh, to hearing the other person, but also to, to wanting to be heard. Wow, that's, that's good Good tools to know. I know that yeah. uh, we've got a little bit more time to talk, and I, and I really want to get over to this other subject because, gosh, you're just not a pretty face. So you've, um, you've recently launched a, an, another company called Optimize, and that's with two Ps, which I think I'd be curious to know how you came up with the name, but I'd love to hear what, what this is all about. What is Optimize? Yeah, well, opt- well so I, I use this, I use this little saying a lot, which is every challenge is an opportunity. And so I took, I took the opportunity and created a word optimize. Um, but basically, mm-hmm. opti- so, so I, was, I was trying to contemplate how I can scale my, my consulting practice, peace building, organizational peace building practice, um, because I can't be everywhere at once. I can't do, you know, 100 jobs a year. It's just too much. So how can mm-hmm. I scale it? And so optimize is my um, idea of how to scale conflict resolution for companies. And what it, what it basically is, is, is it's a, a service that is sort of pay-as-you-go for companies. And uh, they, if they sign up, they give access to their employees to, our in the, to my conflict resolution specialist. So employees basically can call up totally anonymous if they want to this independent um, neutral party who's a conflict resolution expert and with a, with a large long background in HR and conflict specialty specialty and uh, get advice, get counsel, or they can also have us advocate on their behalf to the company, et cetera. So it's somewhere for them to reach out other than HR because a lot of times HR um, is just not able to do the job that employees are wanting. Um, whether, whether or not it's HR's fault, it, it, sometimes HR's hands are tied. And so 
human resources mm-hmm. can't always handle all the problems that are that are arising. And people don't always want to go on record with HR. They don't always want to, you know, go to someone who works at the company with their problem. They want to talk to someone else. So that, so this is an opportunity for them to talk to someone outside. And what we do for the employer is we have a, a we're developing this proprietary technology that basically can take data from those sessions without naming anybody or, or exposing anybody's um, uh, identity, but giving a very broad overview in a data-driven way, like analytics, for a company to look at what they're, what's going on in their culture. And so they can see all kinds of different elements that are happening in their company just on sort of broad thematic levels, like what kind of conflicts are happening here. And we give them the opportunity to also consult with our specialists if they want to address some of those and start figuring out how to optimize their culture, essentially. So, the, so we're trying to add value both to the employees and to the employer's uh, worlds. That's, but yeah, that's, that's, it. that's the really, that, <laughs> wow. So are, are you off the ground or are you, are you, are people able to we're, reach you that way or are you, are you still pretty new? Yeah, we're, we're in beta phase right now. So we're, we're, are, we're still in okay. development of our core technology, but we're, we're doing pilot, pilot clients. So certainly if there were clients out there, we could run some, we could run some pilot data with them and they could, they could implement the service, but the full, the full sort of, data platform isn't available yet. We're still developing that. Okay. So people could follow, they could find you, you know, you're all over the place like me. You're on LinkedIn, you're on, you know, you're yeah. in uh, the Jeremy's um, Peace Building Systems, or I'm not Jeremy, I'm so sorry, it's Pollock Peace Building Systems. Pe- people can find you and, and, and contact you um, if yeah. they would like to learn more about that. I think that that would be great. Uh, you yeah, mentioned they can go to a, a little... We have a, Yes, go ahead. I was just saying, we have a website. It's called uh, getoptimized.com if they want to go to that. It's two Ps. Oh, great. Yeah. All right. I, I, you know what? I didn't know that, and I will um, – so it's getoptimized.com. I will definitely um, link that to um, my, my blog after our show with your, okay, cool. with your quote that is, every challenge is an opportunity. I believe that's attached to optimize, right? You you got it. Okay, I'm trying to take notes, but of course you should try and see my handwriting. Um, <laughs> what I what I would like to ask you about, because we'll be coming pretty close to the end of the show. I think there's even more to you than just this coaching business. What do you do for fun? If you have the five extra minutes to do something for fun, what do you like to do in your free time? Uh, well, I love do you to have travel. Any? Yeah, yes. yeah. The, the little free time I, you know, as a business owner, mm-hmm. I'm always sort of working a little bit here and there. But yeah, when I'm when I'm when I have free time, I definitely I like to travel. Um, my girlfriend and I go on trips frequently. Uh, so I, um, and so and beyond that, we like to yeah, we just go out to the city and go to restaurants and um, mm-hmm. have some downtime. Like to do yoga, sure. to do martial arts for myself. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I plan. I, pl- I play. I play music. So I'm a musician. So I, I do get to play sometimes with other musicians. That's fun. That's cool. That's that's creative. Yeah. That's a little less cerebral, and a little. You know, yeah, for exactly. me, um, you know, I know people think, God, you ever shut up? And it's like, well, yes, uh, it's been known to happen. Um, although I, <laughs> I can certainly go to the mirror and talk to myself, but I take my camera outside. And I'm standing yeah, here in my office in Los Angeles, and I'm looking out 
to the eastern sky. And I'm just, I'm in awe of our universe. I'm in mm-hmm. awe of what the moon does. I'm in awe of what the stars do and how big Venus is or how big Mars is and how how we can see that. Or why did the cedar wax, um, the wax, what are they called? Cedar waxing? Wax cedar? I can't even remember what they're called now. These migrating birds that come through. And why are pelicans so awkward when they fly and all of that stuff. So I grabbed my camera just to get outdoors and appreciate the ocean yesterday after all this rain, you know, just getting mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And I like you, yeah. I love to travel too. I've, I've been all over the world and there's nothing quite like travel. I, I, I also enjoy traveling very much as well. Um, it, it is pretty, pretty cool. So if yeah, you were going to give your, oh, sorry, no, 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 but you're right. Let's, it's cultures, nation, food, people. You know, yeah. I, of all the places I've been, and I've been to, I've been a lot of parts of this world. Um, two years ago, just about this time in March, I was in Africa, and I would just say to Anyone that's got a bucket list when it comes to travel, there is nothing that could compare to that experience of being in Africa. And it really was the people. It was just, it was a remarkable experience. It's, it's life changing. I, Mm. I had an incredible time doing that. Maybe after you get your PhD and, and you're not going to school and you're not, you know, uh, entrepreneuring and opening up another uh, company, um, maybe you'll be <laughs> able to, to do that kind of travel as well. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, 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 really, it really is fun. And, you know, I just, you know, because part of this conversation is, for me, has felt personal, and I don't know if you could even hear the change in the sound of my voice at times, but I can feel it emotionally. I, yeah. I want to just let people know that what I do every week is a privilege. I don't take it, um, I'm, I'm serious about it. And when people say born to talk, you know, well, what, what do you talk about? Who do you have as guests? And I've been just blessed. You know, I'm not doing this so that um, I can buy a new pair of chucks, which is something I probably do every three, four weeks. You know, I don't do this to, to earn and, and generate an enormous amount of income. I do this because people have stories to share. And I, I, I just, before we come to the end of our show and say goodbye to each other, I just want to tell you about next week's show because it's so cool. It's, sure. um, it's a father and it's a son. Um, the dad's name is Derek Volk and his son's name is Dylan. And Derek is the author of an internationally acclaimed Amazon bestseller called Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. Mm. Derek is a main businessman. He is a supporter of autism awareness. He's a community volunteer. He's a philanthropist. He has, along with his family, he was named the 2015 Spurwink Humanitarian of the Year. And he is a remarkable man. But Equally remarkable is his son, Dylan, who is also an author, and he wrote a book called Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism, 
Wow. <laughs> and it's a sequel to the book that he co-authored with his co-authored with his dad after year, uh, after years of of his parents called calling him the diagnosis of the month. Dylan was actually diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at the age of eight, and life has been challenging for him. But when he was yeah. little, he struggled with, struggled with how to learn the rules and how to follow directions that did not always make sense to him. And as he got older, he was challenged, especially socially, by a world that seemed going too fast for him to keep up. But today, he works hard to figure out what to do. And as a 27-year-old, now he, he lives here in Los Angeles. He's pursuing his dreams by making, making people laugh. He's a comedian. And he's wow. traveling around the world sharing his story. He is so awesome. So he's written a book, and he has a story. His dad has a story. People have stories, and my show is about that precise subject. You've had a story to share. I have my story to share, and next week I'll have the Volkman sharing their stories. And I just love this, and, you know, sometimes people will listen. Maybe they've never heard my show before, but because they follow you, I would just like to encourage you that if you're, if you're listening to the very first time to my show, I am going to do a quick commercial. I typically don't do that too much, but my website is it's pretty consistent, borntotalkradioshow.com. Um, I have a Facebook page. Guess what? Born to Talk Radio Show. I have my own personal page. I have a Twitter page. I have an Instagram page. I'm out there, and people can subscribe to Tunes. And listen to the podcast. They can subscribe to Google Play. I'm on Stitcher. I'm on TuneIn. I'm on Blog Talk. I'm everywhere that you want to be. So that if you cannot listen to a live show, and many people can't, you can go back later in the day and you can listen at your convenience. And I will be putting, um, just so that you know, Jeremy, I will be putting our audio um, recording of this show because this is a live show. I'll be putting that on a post later this afternoon. So if somebody didn't get to listen to it live, they can certainly go back and listen to it at their convenience. But okay. I want to just, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for the generosity of your time, as busy as you are to share what it is that you do that has, that you're passionate about, because it's clear that you are. And I, I just want to thank you so much for, for being my guest today. Of course. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was great. Well, good. So go out there and make a difference. Have a great week, everybody. I know people are digging snow out wherever they live. You know, we've, we've got puddles where we are here in Los Angeles. But whatever your day brings to you, I hope it brings you peace. And with that, I will say goodbye, and I look forward to you joining me. Oh, I must say one more thing. I'm sorry, I just meant to say this really quickly. Last Monday, if you were listening to my show, you realized my show didn't happen because the doctor that was supposed to join me wasn't able to get on the phone call with me and was with the patient. So I am doing a special edition show this Thursday, the 21st, at my same time, 1 o'clock, with Dr. Azar, and we will be talking about the Genesis Medical Center. So it's a, it's a twofer this week, everybody. And that, with that, that's my last commercial. So thank you so much, Jeremy. And I'd like to meet you someday since we're neighbors. And to that, I will just say bye for now, everybody. <laughs>